it is so good to be back. Two weeks off was too long. Yeah. I don't know if we'll do that again, because I was having withdrawal symptoms. So um, I'm aware there's some visitors this morning who I haven't yet had the joy of meeting. So just to introduce myself, my name is Katia Adams. I had the absolute privilege of leading the team who leads the church. And um, uh, this right here is the working out of the last song was it the last song that we sang together, All My Life You've Been Faithful? This right here is an expression of the faithfulness of God to me. Um, this time last year, we were announcing that we were going to plant a church in Boston. And we had exactly about three people with us. And <laughs> that includes me and Julian. So <laughs> and it really did feel at that point as any faith... Um, adventure feels like, it felt like at that point it could just be a pipe dream. Uh, faith adventures don't start with us levitating off the ground. At least they don't for me. You might have had that experience and if you have, please give us testimony so that we can enter into your breakthrough. But for me, faith adventures tend to start off with all sorts of doubts in my mind about whether I'm doing the right thing and whether I'm overstepping the moment and whether I'm going to fall flat on my face and there'll be all sorts of naysayers telling me that's exactly why we told you you could never do what you thought that you might try to do. That, that's what faith adventures start like. And I want to say this because I think this isn't where I was going to go, but we're going to go here right now. I want to say this because I think sometimes as the people of God, we share testimonies of the breakthrough without um, inviting others into the terrifying first step of the faith adventure. And what that does is communicate to people this unhealthy expectation that if the adventure you're on is actually a faith-filled one, it will feel different to other kinds of terrifying adventures. That's simply not the case. Yeah. All faith adventures start with a moment of terror where you think this could go horribly wrong um, and I'm going to do it anyway, okay? And, and that's what I was feeling last year. I was literally feeling this could go horribly wrong and there will be a whole group of people that say, aha, that's why we said women should never lead a church and aha, that's why we said you should never move to the States and aha, that's why we said that what you were doing is financially irresponsible. I had all of those thoughts in my mind that's what it will feel like when you start on a faith adventure. If it doesn't feel like that, I'm going to say to you, I'm not convinced faith has any part in the adventure. Because faith by nature is inviting you into something that is so impossible and so unlikely and so challenging that all the doubts come up in your heart and then you kind of go, but I think he's in this, so we're just going to do it anyway. And so... Um, so you are an expression of the faithfulness of God to me, and it's my absolute joy to lead this community. Um, we had such a privilege this morning, didn't we, of Jesh and Alex leading worship, and for the first time in our community, except for when our friend Clint came and led worship as a guest, but for the first time really we had this moment where we were worshiping together with our own instruments and really entering into what it feels like for us to shape the community of worship together rather than rely on a playlist from another community. Uh, I want to say this, the way we do things at the table isn't to create a slick veneer and no one gets to see what's going on in the background. We are a community on an adventure together. That means I'm not going to pretend anything up the front while we're scrambling to get things together. I'm going to invite all of us in to pray and contend for the things that we need. This morning was a joy, but we need more instruments. We need a band. We need people who've led worship for years, who are seasoned uh, worship leaders who will come and join this community, and I'm believing God for it. Next week, you're going to see that even I am going to be leading worship, not because that that was my dream, but because we need a band. And in the moment, we're going to start the ball rolling on something that we're going to need Jesus to fill the steps in. And so I'm going to ask all of us to stand up, because we're going to contend as a community for something that we need together. 
We need many, many more people to lead us into worship. We need drummers and bass guitarists and electric guitarists and everything in between. And so I'm going to ask you, let's just pray together for a minute. Father, we thank you for what you've done. <laughs> Fill this room with worship leaders. Fill this place with a community of worship. We pray for all the instrumentalists. We call them in. In the name of Jesus, I ask you, God, that you would stir something up in people with instruments who would come and find you and find home in this place. Father, we welcome you in to come and build a community here that will mark something of worship over the city, Lord. We invite you, Jesus. God, we call in some of those Berkeley students <laughs> and we say, Lord, that you would bring them here, that they would find home in you and community in this place. We ask you, God, that you would bring to us worship leaders, that you would bring to us people on all sorts of instruments and that worship would rise from this house as it has already, but even more so to mark something in this city and to lift the lid that is coming over this city of worship but we pray God that again and again you would add people to us who would shape a culture of worship so that the streets of this city would be filled with the sound of your people lifting up your name in the name of Jesus we pray amen Oh, anyway, right, sit down. <laughs> I am going to preach eventually. I've just got loads of stuff that I want to go through. I don't have, let me grab my phone because I'm not wearing a watch, which is always a mistake from a preacher. I promise we'll be done in about half an hour-ish. Um, so I want to thank you guys because um, over the last few weeks, this family has really behaved like a family and loved on Julian and I and our kids so amazingly. Um, so as you know, um, Julian's mom passed away almost two weeks ago now. Um, and, um, and it's kind of crazy for me because I often preach and I have preached here probably only a few weeks before that about how God did such a miracle at our wedding and she was going to die at our wedding, but she didn't. And I always finish the story, but she's alive and well today. And it feels so strange that actually she's gone to be with Jesus. And um, I, I just really want to thank you guys. If Julian was here, I know that he would want to do this. Um, We're so grateful for how you rallied around us, how you've loved on us, all the messages and phone calls and uh, gifts being sent in. We really felt surrounded by family, and we're so grateful to you for that. Mom's funeral was in South Africa on Thursday, and Julian and I were able to thank God for technology. We weren't there in person, but we were able to at 6 a.m. our time join on the uh, Facebook Live event. Um, and I was really impacted as I was watching um, people tell their stories and uh, share about a life well lived. Um, you know, you, you can't help but in a funeral setting start thinking about what, what you're doing with your life and what kind of legacy you're leaving and what kind of things will be said. I think that's pretty natural for all of us. When we're hearing things about someone else at a funeral, you start, your mind wanders to, I wonder what mine will be like and what will be said of me. What, what will be the marker of my life? What will have marked me in my life that others will be able to recognize? And I've been kind of mulling over that and just so grateful for a mom for Julian, a mother-in-law for me, and Nonna for our kids who lived so beautifully, so marked by the presence of God, so marked by a feisty faith that no one would be able to talk her out of. I'm so grateful for that. And it's challenged me. What, what marks me? And sometimes we can think about that for like the future legacy. But I started thinking, you know, new year, new me, not so much a new me, it's the same old me that you saw two weeks ago, but anyway, new year made me think, what am I going to allow to mark this year? What am I going to intentionally pour into this year? What am I going to allow to mark me this year? Um, because sometimes when we talk legacy out there, we can keep putting it off. The reality is what I allow to mark me this year is going to create the legacy that I want to mark for a lifetime over me, right? So 
I really want to talk a little bit about what we intentionally pursue individually and as a community over this year. What are we going to choose to allow to mark us this year? What are we going to choose to allow to be the marker of who we are this year? And as I was thinking about all of this, I'm reading in my kind of daily devotions through Second Kings, which is a great book. And I stumbled upon 2 Kings 18. And it's awesome because it talks about a king, Hezekiah, who was marked radically by something. So much so that it says none of the kings before him or any of the kings after him were as marked by this thing as he was. That's kind of insane. For something to be so pivotal about who you are that literally those who write about you say no other leader before or after has ever embodied this thing the same way that this person has. It's pretty amazing. So I'm going to read to you. 2 Kings 18, just verses 1 to 8, and then we'll get into this. In the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah, and he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but he kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him wherever he went out, he prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. He struck down the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from Watchtower to Fortified City. Hezekiah, man marked by trust. He trusted the Lord more than anyone before or after him. That's pretty amazing. And I, even before I read this, this is something that I've always been really um, kind of passionate about for my own life. I want to be a woman who... who it can be said of me, she trusts in the Lord. She has faith in the Lord. Now, this is the thing that I really like about trust in the Lord, is that it doesn't always mean that the outcome is going to be perfect. Uh, track with me for a second. The proof of trusting in God, I think, if, if you see someone who's really trusting in God, what sort of person are they? Well, one, they don't give in to anxiety. Because they so trust God that they're like, ah, I'm not going to spend too much energy over whether this is going to be okay or not. I, I trust in him. So we're just going to go with, with this because he is someone who is trustworthy. So they kind of have no, no real level of anxiety around things because they, they just believe that God is, God is good and that's going to work out somehow. Um, the second thing about people who trust in God is that they have sticking power long after others abandon ship. Because they're kind of like, but I still, I still trust him. So I'm still going this way. You guys might have turned around. I'm still going this way. Those are kind of markers for me of high faith, trust in God kind of people. Doesn't always mean that they get to the perfect outcome because that would be per proof of perfect sensitivity and obedience to God. So trust and perfect hearing are two different things actually. Because yeah. if you have perfect hearing and you have perfect obedience, you're always going to hear him exactly right, which means you're always going to end up in the right place. With trust, that's not necessarily the case because though you might trust him, your hearing might be slightly off, which might mean that you end up somewhere slightly off-center, but the marker of your life is still trust. 
Honestly, I'm more excited by trusting than I am perfect listening. And I think this has become foundational for me since I became a mother. Because here's the thing, the thing that pleases me about my kids when they're behaving in awesome ways isn't that they did the right thing necessarily, but is that their intention to do the right thing. That's the thing that brings the biggest joy to my heart. So I've talked about this here in this community before, but if my son Ezekiel, I ask him to bring me an orange and he brings me an apple, I don't smack him over the head and say, what is this? I asked for an orange. I might be like, I asked for an orange. This is sweet boy, but I wanted an orange. But if he says to me, oh, I'm so sorry, I thought you said you wanted an apple. My heart is overjoyed, even though he didn't actually do what I asked him to do, but my heart is overjoyed because of the intention of doing what I asked and because he genuinely believed that I am a mother who communicates to him and that I am a mother who believes that he can execute the task that I asked him to do. That element is the trust element. The intention element is the trust element. When I uh, relate to God with trust, what I'm saying is I trust that you're a good father and that exhibits itself in you talking to me because otherwise you're an abusive father because only abusive fathers don't talk to their children. So I'm trusting that you're a good father who speaks to me and when you speak to me, I'm trusting that you're good enough to tell me things that I actually can do, even if they feel way beyond my capability. And so I'm going to step into that thing, trusting that what you've said will combine with my faith and we'll go on an adventure somewhere, right? Is this making sense? Am I making sense? I love that element. Since becoming a parent, every time I'm on a faith adventure, there's such a sense of peace in me because I'm like, even if I heard him wrong. Yeah. Right now I know that he is so overjoyed at me throwing myself into this thing because the trust is what brings joy to his heart because Hebrews 11 says it is impossible to please him without faith, right? So the faith element is what brings pleasure to his heart, not the performance element. Hebrews 11 doesn't say the perfection of your performance brings pleasure to his heart. It says without faith it's impossible to please him. It's the faith element and that's true as a parent I'm actually not overjoyed when Ezekiel does something with a terrible attitude even if it's the thing that I asked him to do because it wasn't the performance that I cared about it's what is your heart attitude in that moment that's why I want to be a woman marked by trusting God it might mean that some of my faith adventures go completely wrong I'm okay with that I actually am okay with that because I know the thing that will bring him pleasure in the midst of the chaos as I go down a route that he never called me to because I misheard him, he's going to be so overjoyed. He's going to be saying to the angels, look at this one. This one. She's, by the way, going completely the wrong direction. But <laughs> look how confidently she's doing it. <laughs> look how joyfully she's doing it. Look how overjoyed she is because she knows the pleasure of my heart as she works out her faith, even though she's not quite getting it right, but here we go, we'll fine tune it in this season. Because you know he's that kind of dad. He's not like, you're an idiot, you're going the wrong direction. He's like, okay, I'm gonna help you because I see the openness of your heart to believe me. And I can do a lot with that. So I wanna be marked this year by outrageous trusting in God. I want us to be marked this year by a community who actually believes that God is with them. How are we going to live if God is with us? Because honestly, I am done with the kind of Christianity where we say only some of this is true. We might not say that with our words, but we do that with our actions when we're constantly making up different plan B's and C's and D's and E's and F's. What if he doesn't actually come through? And what if he isn't always what we think he is in the Bible? And I'll live like 75% of this is only some kind of tale for children. But when you grow up, you need to think more seriously. I'm done with that kind of Christianity. I want to work out my life in a way that says all of this is true. Because honestly, it's either all true or it's all a lie. 
So I, I want to stop being in this middle ground of uh, say that God is with us, but don't expect for miracles in case we get disappointed. All we're doing is trying to pastor our disappointment before it even happens. <laughs> oh my gosh, pastoring disappointment is important because our hearing needs fine tuning. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't embark on the faith adventure. So I want to be marked by this personally. I want to lead us as a community to be marked by this. This year, I want it to be a year where if nothing else happens, if 2021 ends up a continuation of 2020, God, please have mercy, let it not be. But if it turns out to be, I want to be this time at the end of this year going, well, you know what? It was crazy, but one thing was steadfast this year, and it was faith that God is good and he is with us. That is under my control because that's a choice, and I get to make that, and it's a daily choice. It's a choice in the tiny decisions. What are you going to do with that $5 in your pocket? You feel the tug of the spirit, give it to this person in generosity, and you're thinking, well, I know what's in my account, even this $5 count. Those are the tiny decisions where a lifetime legacy is built. That's why on the subject of money, and I really don't, honestly, I really don't care what you guys do with your finances. I really don't, because I believe God is going to come through again and again and again. But on the subject of money, because it's an easy, tangible uh, example of these things, when people say to me, I'll be generous when I have enough, that sentence makes zero sense. Because generosity has got nothing to do with what's in your bank balance. Nothing. And if you don't know what to do with the $5, you won't know what to do with the $5 million. These legacies are built in the tiny moments. I know this for myself. I'm preaching to me as much as I am to you. So let's be intentional this year. And for me, it's going to be trust. I don't know what you want to build this year, but I want to tell you, your life is not happening to you. Yeah. <laughs> Your life isn't happening to you. No matter what anyone else is saying, no matter how out of control the world feels, I want to say to you, it's not happening to you. There are a billion choices that we have the opportunity to make every day. What are we going to do with those choices this year? Now, how did it work out? What did trust look like for Hezekiah? I want to point out three things that he did. This is super, super simple but I trust it is something that will get lodged in our hearts and minds and we'll be able to think about through the course of the next few weeks. He did three things. He removed, he rebelled, and he held fast. Simple sermon. First thing he did, he removed. He removed the high places. Verse four, he removed the high places, he broke the pillars, he cut down the Asherah, he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses has, had made. I want to highlight this. As we step out in living a life of trusting God, there's going to be things that we need to get, get rid of. There's things that you've got to remove, and sometimes they're bad things, objectively. Sometimes they're good things, objectively, but they've become a stumbling block. Notice for Hezekiah, he removes. He removes the high places. He removes idols. That's what high places were. They were altars built on other places instead of the temple of God. He's removing these things that had become places of uh, idolatry, of shrine worship that had nothing to do with God, what God had invited his people into. So he's removing what is objectively bad, but he removes and he breaks down something that is objectively good, which was the bronze serpent that Moses had made at a moment where where God used that bronze serpent to work out a miracle for the people of God. He literally worked out this incredible healing, restorative miracle through this bronze serpent. So in and of itself, it was not a bad thing. In fact, it was meant to be this incredible memorial for the people of God of remember that bronze serpent. Look at that. Wow. Remember who God is. May he do it again. But that's not what they were using that thing for. This thing that was objectively good had now become such a stumbling block for the people of Israel that they were worshipping this thing that was meant to point to the living God. And so Hezekiah takes this thing that would have been seen as objectively good and he breaks it down because he is all about, I am moving out everything that is hindering us from serving and worshipping God. Yeah. 2021, a good year to remove things. 
It's a good time to engage with our hearts and minds and think, what things do I need to move out of the home of my heart? What things have kind of, and you'll all know this, when you move into a place, new place, you see all the things that need working on. Ah, I don't like that. Well, we'll, let's write a list of projects. And you write a list a mile long and you move your furniture in and you think, oh my gosh, that couch does not work in that place. Okay, we're going to have to figure out a replacement at some point. And then weeks go on and months go on and you kind of get used to that really ugly misshapen couch in the lounge because it's kind of, you kind of got used to it. And the list of projects, it doesn't seem so urgent anymore because you've got used to the things that are slightly ugly or misshapen or the peeling walls or whatever it might be. We do that with our own hearts. When we don't intentionally examine repeatedly, what happens is furniture that has no place in our heart stays there because we just got used to it being there. Ah, that little bit of unbelief. I'm so used to that thing. Don't take it seriously. No, take it seriously. You need to move that thing out of your heart because to live a life marked by trust, you're going to have to be ruthless in eliminating the bits of furniture that have got stuck in there that you should have given to goodwill a long time ago. Even if it's something that isn't objectively bad, that you recognize has become a stumbling block, you need to move that thing out. That thing needs to be broken down and moved on. And this is a good time of year for us to do this. I don't always love kind of get introspective sermons because people get stuck there. Don't get stuck there. But give yourself half an hour this week to just pray, Holy Spirit, what do I need to remove? Which areas of things that have gone a little bit old and gray in my heart and just need to move on? Which things have been there that I've just been kind of half shutting my eyes to? Oh, it's just normal. Everybody's like that. And honestly, the enemy loves to do that in our hearts. Oh, don't worry about that thing. Everyone struggles with that a little bit. A little bit of porn. It's normal. Everybody struggles with that. First of all, don't tell anyone. That would be a bad idea. And second of all, just ignore it. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Tell somebody if you're struggling with anything. Porn is an easy one to kind of throw out as an example. Gossip, lying, compulsive eating, whatever it might be. All of these things need dealing with. Because at the root of any one of these sins is an issue of identity and an issue of trust. And we get to resolve those things. So tell someone if you're struggling with sin and allow God to help clean that thing out of you. Because it's time to get ruthless with our hearts so that the Spirit can have more of us. Often we're praying, Holy Spirit, I want more of you. What if the Holy Spirit's saying, actually, I want more of you? (laughs) Open up more of our hearts to allow His light in. So He did... First thing, ruthless removal of things. Second thing I want to point to is that he rebelled. So verse 7, the Lord was with him. He went out, he prospered, he rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. Now you need to know some history for this to make sense. Ahaz, Hezekiah's father, was in a little bit of problems. Let me tell you where it is. I think it is chapter 16, you'll find it. A little bit of problems got an enemy, doesn't know what to do. So he sends off to the king of Assyria and says, hey, if you help me fight my enemies, what I'll do is I'll kind of serve you. We'll we'll strike up some kind of agreement here where you come in and you do some saving stuff for us and we'll serve you and we'll be really good friends and we'll give you some money and it's all a great deal. And what ends up happening is Ahaz not only serves the king of Assyria with his people, but he then learns from the king of Assyria. And in fact, there's an altar in Assyria that he thinks, oh, I really like that one a little bit more than the one in the temple in Jerusalem. So he gets a prototype of it and makes the priests in Jerusalem build that very same altar. And what they do is they move out the altar that God had assigned to them and they move in what they now call the great altar. And they decide that they will worship and sacrifice on this new altar that they learned from the king of Assyria. It's a terrible plan. Uh, Ahaz is not, uh, you won't be surprised to know, heralded as a great king of Israel. 
So here comes Hezekiah. He's removed the idols. He's removed the high places. He's even broken down the bronze serpent. Presumably, as it's associated with all of these things, he's removed the altar that his dad had built in place of the one that God had ordained. But here's this thing that he then does is that he rebels against Assyria. He says, hey, by the way, the agreement doesn't stand in my, in my day. Agreements might have been made over here to kind of make things happen that my dad didn't know how else to make happen, but I'm breaking agreement. I'm rebelling against this agreement. Just as life isn't happening to you, your thoughts are not happening to you. Our thoughts are not just happening and we're at their mercy and, oh no, I'm just one of those people who thinks this way or I'm one of those people who struggles with this way of thing. Honestly, we have a heck of a lot of authority over our thought life if only we'll bring our A-game to our thoughts and understand that we get to wage warfare with whatever's going on in our own minds. It's not happening to you. You have authority over it. And this year, some of us need to start rebelling against agreements that we're constantly been agreeing with in our minds. This is a good year to say, I am no longer serving this. I am no longer making agreement with this way of thinking. I am no longer serving the enemy in this area of my mind. But this is a good year, 2021, a good year of rebelling. Now, listen to me carefully before you hear something that I'm not saying. I am not saying rebel against all earthly powers and uh, take up some actual arms somewhere. And um, is this a little bit too, too, too close to home right now? Okay. Just being clear, I'm not saying that because that's not the kind of rebellion that we're invited into as the people of God. Warfare in your own mind forget other people let's warfare internally first let's look at second corinthians for a second together i like this verse i'm provoked by it at the moment second corinthians 10. second corinthians 10 verse 4 for the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh are not of flesh so we don't need to go out and buy anything to wage warfare anywhere but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And we've already talked as a community before about how strongholds are patterns of thinking, okay? So this is all internal. And I, I might be able to preach, I have authority as, as a leader, because this is what the Bible teaches. As a leader, I have an authority to lead, which means I have some ability to lead people into freedom in their own thoughts. But the biggest area of authority that I have to demolish strongholds is not over your mind, it's over mine. So this context, whilst it can be, yes, as a community, we wage warfare together, it's much more, what are you doing in your own head? That's the context of these verses. And sometimes we're so quick to say, oh, Hannah, let me help you with your stronghold. As if this verse is telling me, go and minister to Hannah, when this verse is saying, look in the mirror and deal with yourself first. And so we need to wage warfare to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion in my own heart raised against the knowledge of God. And it doesn't matter what title you give yourself as a Christian. We all have opinions in our minds that have got their worm, wormed their way in somehow that raise themselves against the knowledge of God. We've got to find those things and rebel against them. Take every thought captive. I cannot take your thoughts captive, but I can take mine captive. Take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience. It's a good year to rebel. It's a good year, not out there somewhere, a good year to examine the patterns of our thinking, to examine the thoughts that say, is God really that good? Pounce on that thing. Don't go, oh, that was a weird thought. We'll think about that later. I'm going to go watch TV. No! 
Once you experience a thought in your own mind that is counter to the knowledge of God, you jump on that thing, you suffocate that thing, you make sure it's dead, and then you move on with your day. Don't open the fridge and get a snack. Kill that thing first. This is what it means to take thoughts captive. Our thoughts are not happening to us. I can't remember who it was who said, and I'm going to butcher this quote because it's happening spontaneously. But anyway, who was it that said, I cannot stop the birds from flying overhead, but I can stop them from making a nest? Do you know that quote? Anyway, it's a good quote. (laughs) Thoughts will come and go. And sometimes, yes, of course, the enemy is trying to throw things into our minds. I can't always stop those things. But I can, as soon as I hear them, pause and say, that's not making a nest here. And dismantle that thing before it even has time to grow into a stronghold. So remove, rebel. What time are we on? We're good. Hold fast. Say that again? Martin Luther. Luther, Thank you. Great quote. Thank you, Google, for your incredible powers. Verse 6. He held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. He held fast. Literally what we're invited into in relationship with God. Now there's loads, of, there's loads of different truths that are on top of each other here. So one of the things, the reality of being a Christian is that God is in you, full stop. That, that's not up for debate. When you become saved, that happens, that moment happens, not because you made a great decision, although it is a great decision to become a Christian, but it actually happens because Romans 8 tells us it's by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God comes and awakens you, and so it's by the Spirit that you're able to cry out, Abba, Father. We literally come into knowing God through the quickening of the Spirit in our hearts. And we know that as the Spirit comes, the the Bible is full of these truths but we become he comes into us and we are in him you are joined Julian always says I'm a Siamese twin with Jesus our hearts are one and the same that is true that's biblical we have been joined to Christ irreversibly so there is an element of being a Christian in and of itself means that I'm holding fast to God not because I've got a really tight grip but because he joined me with him I can't even understand where I end and he begins we are one it's like, oh my gosh, Lord Jesus, help me. When I give Play-Doh to my kids, lots of neat colors. Ah, oh, so beautiful. And then they play, and like within about a few minutes, I'm like, don't, don't you? And this is where like the slightly uh, neat, tidy version of me comes out in a way that two toddlers do not understand or respect. I say to them, don't, don't you want to keep the, the, the colors separate? It's so nice when you can see the different colors, and they're like, what are you even talking about? And they start smushing them together, and where there once used to be a vibrant blue and green and red and orange is now a brown. There, there is no way of separating those colors and no one can say to me this part is the orange or this part used to be red who knows they're so smushed together there is no separating them and you would be insane if you said to me I can separate these colors out again like if someone came to my house and was like oh just give me that I'll separate it I'll be like you're a crazy person (laughs) that's what it means to be joined to Christ It's only a crazy person who thinks they can separate. They're so smushed together, me and Jesus. It's no longer me and Jesus, but I am one with Christ. We're the very same color. You can't separate the two out. So there's a holding fast that God has worked out for us. And it's not determined by the strength of our grip. It's determined by the Spirit's work in our hearts. And it's done. But then... On that truth, there's another truth that coexists with it. And they both work together. And there's the reality of me pursuing Christ in my daily experience. Pursuing Christ by taking captive my thoughts. Pursuing Christ in how I live and the outworking of my life that coexists with the reality of me being joined with him. And is something that invites him consistently to make his life tangibly known in my life. That's the kind of holding fast I want to talk about today. The one he's already done irreversibly. 
So that's wonderful. But the other is our choice and is our privilege. The choice of holding fast to him, of becoming his shadow, of refusing to be uh, shaken off at any point, whether by disappointment or by uh, hardship or by confusion over why some things happened and why some other things haven't or whatever it is. Refusing to let those things shake us off from the scent of the goodness of God. And it's not easy. There are moments where it feels like a pointless exercise. There are moments where you want to give up. Don't pursue him. Hold fast to who he is. Hold fast to chasing him down just as his goodness has chased us down. Hold fast. Pursue. Let him be your one obsession. You know, the last week I had a few prayer days. And I'd assigned them, and it always sounds like such a great idea. I need a few days to just pray, to understand what God is saying. Lord Jesus, what is happening in my... Great. A few prayer days. Do you know how warm and fuzzy inside I felt over those prayer days? I don't know what was going on. I was literally having conversations with God of like, why can I not feel you? Like in any other worship today, I'm crying my eyes out. You're so here. Three days of prayer, I can't feel a single thing. (laughs) And everything in me is saying, like, give up. Don't do this. What I will say to you is, if that's you, do it in a different mode. So go out for a walk instead of sitting and kneeling. Like, do something different. And that that is what I did. I pray much better, actually, when I'm walking. But that's not the point here. The point is, don't let the not feeling anything shake you off the scent of his goodness. Because whether I'm feeling warm and fuzzy inside or not isn't the issue. The fact remains, I'm on the scent of his goodness. And I'm not letting that thing go. Oh, it's going to the left. I'm going to the left. Right, I'm going to the right. I am constantly like a shadow. And I've spoken about this before, but it it bears repeating in this moment because this, I think, honestly, is one of the most perfect pictures I have for what it looks like to hold fast to God. And it is the picture of my toddlers who do not respect an introvert's space. (laughs) That's what we should be like to God. (laughs) This week, I was saying to Michael and Rachel, Ezekiel has decided that he's afraid to be on his own. There's lots of reasons we think for this, but he literally will not be in in the same house, but in a different room on his own. It's too much for him. He has to be in the same room. Uh, Honestly, as a parent who is an introvert, it is suffocating. (laughs) I love my child with my whole heart. And there are moments where I'm like, just leave me alone. I go to the bathroom and I lock the door and I'm like, just leave me alone. And then I hear him, mom, are you in there? And I'm like, leave me alone for one minute. I love you with my whole heart, leave me alone. I have never experienced anything in my life that gives me a better picture of what it means to hold fast to Jesus. Hold fast to him. Hold fast to him to the point that he's thinking, oh my goodness, give me a second to breathe. Of course, he's never going to think that because he's the perfect father who's like, I love that you're playing this game of chase with such a passion and such an obsession and I reward those who seek me. That's what he's thinking consistently. Unlike me, he's not hiding in the bathroom hoping no one will find him. He's like, I'm in here, because he loves the finding, because he loves the rewarding. Chase him. You know, just um, in worship, I found this in my pocket, and the discerning congregation member will realize that this is a piece of Lego. (laughs) (laughs) It's in my pocket because I'm a parent. (laughs) And when you're a parent, you consistently have things in your pockets. You're laughing because you know this is true. Consistently have things in your pockets that you're like, seriously, why is this with me? (laughs) And as we were worshiping, I was thinking, I get to do this to Jesus. In my prayers, in my worship, in my random thoughts to him. It's like I'm constantly putting things in his pocket, waiting for him to find it, to go, oh, Katya, you funny girl. Mm-hmm. That we get to do, he's relational. Yeah. He really is relational. 
and we get to hold fast in a way that is joy bringing this isn't meant to be intense or horrible but it's the same delight of a parent who finds lego in their pocket and goes my kids are the best <laughs> and we get to do that with jesus consistently constantly be be uh, pursuing in a, him in a way that places you in his path because that's what he's invited us to. This isn't us trying to do something that he doesn't want. This is us doing something that we have been invited into, which is crazy that God would care. This isn't a burden, this is a privilege. God invites us to get in his way. It's a privilege. Why he would do that is beyond me. So 2021, a good year to be marked as a people who trust him, yeah. who are willing to stay long after everyone else has abandoned ship because we just can't shake the feeling that he's good and he's with us, what can I do? Mm -hmm. I was saying to someone just last week, like Boston still doesn't make sense in so many ways. We've still got so many things on a very practical side that are stacked against the decisions that we've made over the last few years to get us here. But what can I do? It's like, there, there are no other options. Like, here are the words that God has said. Like, they, and then there's a beautiful simplicity in that, yeah. where you live life with no other option. Where you've so heard and so moved forward that it's like, you just gotta go, well, we're here now. We're so far out on a limb that if this branch breaks, we're all going down with it, but we're, down, we're on the limb. Like, I can't even see the trunk anymore. So there's no going back. And in that, we get to remove, let's remove the junk that gets in the way. Let's remove the good stuff that's getting in the way. Yeah. Let's rebel against patterns of thinking and agreements with the enemy and serving the enemy in our thoughts in ways that we just got used to. You don't need to make agreement anymore. Rebel. And then let's hold fast. Let's presume with everything we've got. Let's understand that he's joined himself to us, that this isn't us holding on for dear life to a God who's constantly trying to shake us off, but this is us responding to the privilege of a God saying, get in my way, I love it, and I'm gonna reward those who seek me. Let's allow this to mark us this year. Let's stand together. You know, Hebrews 12 tells us something really cool. Therefore, let me find it so I quote it correctly. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay, lay aside every weight, sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Hebrews 12 verse 1 is basically the summary of everything that I've said. Let us lay it aside and run with perseverance. Perseverance doesn't sound so fun sometimes, but it's an invitation to us. But isn't it cool that it says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Last month, Jeff spoke so brilliantly on a Wednesday evening about Hebrews 11, what Hebrews 11 faith looks like, what trust looks like. And um, he was talking about the different, different people in Hebrews 11. Well, the therefore in Hebrews 12 is referring back to the stories of Hebrews 11. It's basically saying, therefore, since we have Abraham shouting at us from the cloud of witnesses, he's faithful to do what he promised. Let's lay aside the sin that entangles. Therefore, since we have uh, Deborah and Gideon, since we have these people saying, he picks the least likely and he does amazing things, keep going. Therefore, since we have them shouting that at us, let us lay aside everything else. Therefore, since we have Moses in the cloud yelling at us, no earthly riches are worth holding onto, but lay it all aside, even if you're 
or a prince laid aside because his promises are worth pursuing. Let's listen to these witnesses. And you can read it. Hebrews 11, so many witnesses again and again. Sarah saying, listen, even though the promise has been delayed for 25 years, it's worth believing him because he who says it is faithful to do. These are the witnesses we're surrounded by. Julian's mom saying to us, listen, it's all true. I got to see the face of Jesus and he is good and beautiful and everything that he said he was. Therefore, run. Don't let this stuff cloud your mind. Rebel against agreements that are trying to hold you back from your destiny. Remove sin. You are a new creation. It is more natural for you not to sin. So if you're struggling with sin, stop it. Speak to someone and stop it. Remove even good stuff that's distracting you. But let's fine-tune our lives. Let's lay aside so that we can run with perseverance because he who promised is faithful. And the God who called us to this city, despite all the reasons why we shouldn't be here, is the one who's going to shake a city and indeed a nation through us. Lay aside and run with perseverance. Father, we, we want to start this year with our eyes fixed on you, the one who has so joined us with him that you cannot tell the colors apart anymore. And we want to say to you, Holy Spirit, we invite you, even this week, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and shine a light in our hearts and minds on things that we've allowed to stay there and just grown used to. Speak to us that we would remove things that need to go out and that we would rebel against agreements that we have served for far too long so that we would be lighter Mm -hmm. to run, to run with perseverance and to win the prize, Mm -hmm. Jesus himself, the destiny that he's marked out for us. And so we invite you, Spirit of God, come and mark this community with outrageous faith with unreasonable trust (laughs) that we would be a community that provoke others that people come alongside us to speak wise words of why we should turn around that we would incite that in people because we would terrify them with the amount of trust i pray that you would mark us with that because we're not interested in being reasonable or sensible or playing by the rules we want to wage warfare on our own hearts and minds so that we can see the face of God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This is the Sunday morning podcast from The Table, Boston, where you'll find the latest teachings from our Sunday meetings. Find more from us at thetableboston.com.